Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Hawkins, and I'm here today with my friend and co-host, Chelsea Conway, who usually you're recording, so thank you for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure. You doing okay? Yeah, doing great. Good. I know you're excited about this. I'm super excited about this. Today, we get to talk with Andrew Peterson, a prolific songwriter. He's also a writer of several books. You're kind of like a, a, I don't know, a creative genius. So you've written several (laughs) books, uh, including Adorning the Dark, The God in the Garden, and the very popular Wingfeather Saga. And I'm really excited for this conversation. So let's dive in. Andrew, thanks again for joining us, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks, you guys. Um, okay, so we always do the like uh, official bio, but I always ask people like, what's what's something you think is important to know about you that doesn't get captured in your kind of official, you know, internet bio? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I. Um, I, I feel most of the time like a knucklehead who doesn't know what he's doing. How's that? <laughs> You're uh, in good company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's funny. Um, I, you probably know what I'm talking about. I'm 48 now. And, uh, and I feel like there are these times when, uh, you know, if somebody happens to be a fan of the books or the music or whatever, sure, where you can tell that they're impressed for the first, like, you know, 30 seconds. And I just... There's, I just want to tell them like, oh no, there's like a 12 year old kid in here. Who's <laughs> <laughs> like, don't, please don't be impressed. Like, and, and it is funny. Like the, uh, it just takes five minutes or so of, of conversation where for people to kind of go, oh yeah, he is a knucklehead and, and, and that's okay. It's like, it's like, uh, that's great. um, it is. Yeah. It's kind of good. It's, uh, it's uh, well, let me good. ask you this then, because this might just be my problem. It's sort of on topic because you just mentioned it. Reading Wing Feather, um, you know, I, for me personally, like let me into that side where I knew there was like a kid inside, or I assumed it. You said you're 48. I'm 40. Uh, when I walk by the mirror and I see myself, I'm surprised by who's staring back at me because I'm like <laughs> forever in my mind. Like a, it, I, it's like the 25 year olds captured there. Are you surprised? Has aging like? Are you surprised yet? Do you feel your age? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I do. I really do. That's it's so true. Um, I hate when I'm jogging and it's in like a city, and you glance sideways <laughs> yes, at like a store window. I'm always just like, is that how I run? <laughs> yeah, I look like I'm dying. You know, uh, <laughs> in your mind, you're just this like you yes, know, of Olympian. course. But uh, <laughs> no, I. It's funny. Jamie and I were just talking the other day about how um, you know when I talk to college students, they look like high schoolers to me now. Right. You know. And when I, and we, for whatever reason, a, a lot of our friends are like 10 or 15 years younger than us. Sure. We, we tend to hang out with, um, with younger couples. And in my mind, I'm the same age as them. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm kind of like, oh yeah, we're, <laughs> and then I look in the mirror, I kind of think about our lives and I go, oh yeah, I could be your dad. <laughs> I, could be, I could be, you know, my, my own kids are married, now, you know? So it's just this, uh, it's pretty cool though. I like, I like getting older. I don't like the, the way my knees hurt, but oh, um, yeah. Same. I, I don't mind getting older. It's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for <laughs> indulging in the in the personal uh, <laughs> anecdote there. I but like that. Yeah. Um, the first question I just have, honestly, I've been, um, oh, I'm one of those who's a fan of both your writing and your music. Um, but 
you know, I grew up uh, a musician myself, more drummer. So I don't know if people consider those musicians or not, but I just kept time, you might say. Uh, but to know that you can play music and then write as beautifully as you write mm. as well, the mm-hmm. kind of, yep. um, I'm, I'm, I just read, finished uh, God of the Garden and, um, it's a poetic prose. Like it's a, it's, it's literally these, the way I felt, I felt like I was there with you as you would take, take us to a moment of your life and expand it in this really beautiful way. I, there is something about the multifaceted talents that you have and gifts God has given you that are, I'm interested in that. And so in my very long winded way of asking, Mm. (laughs) which is my problem, uh, what came first for you? I obviously it, in your professional career it was singing, but like as as a child when you're growing up, did you think of yourself more as a writer, a poet or you know, did you was your world into songwriting more through lyric lyrically first or was it music? Um so when I was a kid, you know, I grew up I'm a pastor's kid, so I grew up in a house with lots of books and yeah. um my mom was uh, read to us a lot, you know, and we were always encouraged to read. We had, you know, copies of like abridged versions of the Count of Monte Cristo and, and uh, Huckleberry Finn, that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, it was just kind of taken for granted. The books were good things. And so, uh, and then I loved Shel Silverstein's where the sidewalk ends. Remember oh, that book? Yes. I mean, I read that book. I still have my copy that I got for my birthday mm-hmm. when I was a and and that and then hymns like you know as a preacher's kid when you're sitting in church uh you can only hear your dad preach so many times and uh, <laughs> and i remember sitting there one of the things i would do is just like sit and read the hymn book mm. and uh and look at the way that the you know the the hymn writers were rhyming things i was fascinated mm-hmm. by the fact that there was like a real meter that they stuck to mm-hmm. like a structure uh that all the hyphens and you know apostrophes and uh the times when they would say air instead of ever you know and so i was just like kind of a nerd about that stuff when i was mm. a kid and but apart from that like i just had had a um a, an instinct for you know um when i would sit down at the piano like i i um relatively quickly had an instinct for how some of it worked or when uh you know i was I, okay let me get at it this way i'm I'm, I still cannot diagram a sentence. Like, so bad. like, I just don't get it when I hear people start to talk about subject and predicate. It, just, yeah. it turns language into math. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like, I couldn't do math to save my life as a kid. So I would intuit my way into things, mm-hmm. you know? So as soon as you start like trying to give it a hard, uh, to, to diagram it, there's a part of my brain that just doesn't compute. Mm. Uh, so I, I, but I always had a sense, I could tell when a sentence was right, mm-hmm. but I could never explain to you why a sentence was right. Yes. Um, and I think that was true of music. It's true of when I draw, you know, I love to sketch and, uh, and, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm very much an amateur, which means that I, I just do it because I love it. Mm. But I don't know how to explain half of the stuff, which is interesting to me that in uh, the Wingfeather TV show that we're working on right now, um, uh, I'm realizing that when you've got a team of 70 people and animators and screenwriters and all of these people, it's like when when it comes down to it, I can't just say, yeah, it's not quite right. Like you've got to go here's why it's not right. And I've got to articulate all of these reasons, yeah. you know, it's like exercises your, your, uh, um, muscle for language and like how to like really drill down into what's not right about something, you know, yeah. and it's really it doesn't come naturally to me because I'm just like, 
but can't you tell that it's not right? It's just not, you know, yeah. um, Jamie tells me all the time that I would make a terrible teacher because I, I, <laughs> I get impatient when I have to explain something that to me feels obvious, but then it's like, it's only obvious to me because I have this like really narrow, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like opinion about how this thing ought to look or ought not to look. So anyway, all that to say, I was drawn to all of those things when I was a kid, whether mm. it was music, drawing, or I had, you know, strong and probably misplaced opinions about which movies were the good movies and which books were bad. And so um, all that led me eventually to, honestly, to Jesus. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, when I was 18 or 19 and I, I encountered him in the music of Rich Mullins, um, I kind of realized uh, that he has sanctified um the arts mm-hmm. kind of made it so that like when, when you're not a believer, you're kind of like, um, again, not really able to articulate why something is moving you or why something is pricking something inside your heart or why you're drawn to certain things. Yeah. And once I had this encounter with Jesus through this music, I was suddenly, I was kind of like, Oh, that's the key. He's the thing that I was always looking for. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so, um, yeah. Anyway, all that to say that like, I, um, it started with music, but words were always a part of it. Stories were all a part of it. It was all this kind of stew mm-hmm. and so see it as a great kindness from him that I've gotten to dip my toes into it. Dip my toes into the stew. That metaphor, <laughs> That's a great metaphor. That's, great. That's super interesting. Uh, hey, Andrew, like, so what do you think the connection is between being creative beings um, and being creators of our own accord? Cause it's like that, that concept of God is the creator. He created us, but then also that we're like given this world. What do you think yeah. that is? Like, where, where do you think that starts? Well, I'm, I, it's funny. I just, um, all my thinking about that comes from Tolkien mm-hmm. um, in his essay on fairy stories, which is an amazing essay, uh, He where he kind of digs into why stories work on us the way that they do. Mm-hmm. And, why yeah. he's, and yesterday, randomly, um, I saw a YouTube clip of an interview with him that I'd never seen before. And, and he just kind of talks about the fact that like, uh, we, you know, we subcreate. There's a creator, and we are subcreators. So we, we, he created out of nothing, which yeah. George McDonald would say that's not quite right either. That God created out of Himself. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. everything is kind of made out of His imagination and the abundance of His goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, so it isn't really out of nothing. But you know, the point is, God can look at a blank space and 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 speak something into being there. Yeah, and we are inhabiting that space that has been spoken into. So all we can do is rearrange and take, take what God has already made and create, but, but our impulse to do that is, is evidence of the image of God in us. Like it's, it's uh, the way Tolkien put it in the video that I saw yesterday. He just said, it's pleasing. Mm. Like we're pleased when we make things <laughs> in the way that God looked at what he had made and said it was good. Like he, he yeah. seemed to take a certain kind of joy in Genesis and, and just standing back and looking at the thing that he made. I still do that. Like when I finish a drawing, mm. I can't stop looking at it. Like I'll put it away. And then an hour later, I was like, I want to see it again. Mm. You know, I'll get out my book and check it out. And there's this weird sense of if it's not bad, uh, you look at it and you're like, wow, I made that. Mm. So there's mm. this real holy, um, like significant thing happening in us whenever we delight in making. So, yeah, I think that that's, um, that's what humans always do. We, we take, whether you're an architect or a, mm-hmm. a cook, mm-hmm. or um, if you're a, the host of a party, yeah, you look at the blank space of no conversation and you go, Ooh, I'm going to 
lob something out this, there. Yeah. Conversation going, fill the space with something. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my take on it. That's really good. I love that. I, it shines through in your work. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of trying to thread the needle through these pieces we've been talking about. You talked about how you found Jesus sort of at the end of the, of your art, right? You being a kid, you're on this journey, you're recognizing hymns, you're wrecking. And then we, you see Jesus in it. And then you talked a little bit about how we're just rearranging the things God creates. And I'm reading Wingfeather Saga with my kids right now. We're in the last book. My, my two sons, I have a daughter in the middle. And my youngest is five, my oldest is eight. And um, my five-year-old looked at me after we were reading uh, at Wingfeather, and he said, Dad, it's funny, but I think God's in every story. That's he said. And I was like, dang, that's profound, wow. man. So we started, yeah, we, yeah. we kind of talked about that. And I brought up other books and we're talking and it, we were talking about the maker in the series. And he's like, is the maker God? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think, I think that is God. And, th- and then he said, I, God's in every story. And that's he awesome. meant it more profoundly in the way that you've kind of said that like, there's traces of him, you know, I see him when we, even when we talk about bad stuff and, um, I think, uh, Going back to on fairy stories and things like that, I think there's just something really profound about that idea. And I'm also, you said this thing a minute ago, and you just said, I'm an amateur, which means I do these things because I love them. And um, I wonder what the connect, that to me seems so important, incredibly important for the burgeoning artists among us, right? I'm thinking about our kids. I'm thinking about young people in our churches or whatever institution we might inhabit or whatever. Um, Yeah. Can you talk maybe about the importance of just the affections as it relates to art? Maybe that's a bit of a curveball, but just doing something because you love it and finding passion and skill there. How, How is that yeah. How does that drive? Yeah. Like the yeah. motivation. Yeah. Well, what comes to mind is, is this feeling that, um, the, uh, the church sometimes isn't super great at, um, making space for things that don't have a, a very obvious quantifiable result. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, and, um, the arts by their nature are, it's, it's, you can't really quantify what's going on inside someone. Yeah. And, let Flannery O'Connor, um, the author, Southern author, mm-hmm. who was a believer, she talked about how, um, you know, the her she's kind of like writing the stories, and once she finishes the story, um, and it goes out into the world, uh, what happens with it is none of her business. She mm-hmm. would say, <laughs> it's like the Holy Spirit's business, and so I, she was very kind of amazingly willing to be misunderstood. Mm. Uh, and I don't have that. I really want to be understood. You know, I really, uh, just that's the way that I'm wired. So when I make stuff, I'm, I'm, uh, I try to be as clear as possible to say mm-hmm. it the way that I meant to yeah. in songs, you know? Um, and so I do have an agenda. I have something that I want people to get out of what I'm, I'm doing. And at the same time, uh, the, the artist in me is like, kind of like, uh, leaves lots of space for, surprise yeah. and like i may have the thing that i meant but somebody else is gonna yeah. get something different out of it um and so yeah that's that's my thing um it, the i think a lot of people these days if they um aren't great singers or they're not great at drawing then they think well what's the point point? Mm-hmm. Um, and the point is not necessarily um 
starting a career, you know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> the point is just, just do something, just get your hands dirty in the mm -hmm. garden. Mm -hmm. I love Draw that. a picture, uh, do the thing just because it's like, you'll experience a little bit of that, that, um, uh, image of God delight in making mm -hmm. in the yep. world. So, uh, yeah, I think it sometimes we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to, to, to be really great at something. And mm -hmm. that's not the point. Um, mm -hmm. on one hand, on the other hand, it's like, if you are called to do this, like mm -hmm. for a career, I mean, even if you're just a doodler, it's like, what, what are you doing? If you're not trying to get a little better at right. it, you know? Right. Um, and so, but, but at the same time, I think that sometimes we can squash our creativity because we're holding it up to some unreasonable standard. I, there's a, an author named Jeremy Begbie, who's a, like a music theologian. Uh, he's brilliant. And he has a book called voice and creations praise. And, uh, and I'm going to get this wrong, but somewhere in there, he kind of gets into the history of like um, the way art functioned in communities. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, until uh, I guess a couple hundred years ago, 300 something years ago, um, there weren't art museums like we know them today. Uh, somebody kind of had the idea, hey, let's get all the best artists and put them in one place. <laughs> wow. People can we can preserve them and people can come and see them. And that's a good thing. I love museums. But but it also kind of told a story to the communities yeah. that you know, um, if your art isn't hanging in the museum, then, then you're not, it's not as important. Wow. Somehow. Yes. And, uh, and so, whereas, you know, it's, it's like one of the things I love about bluegrass and roots music is mm. that there's all these standard songs that everybody kind of knows. They're just <laughs> around grandpa can jump in and sing mm -hmm. his thing. You know? And, uh, I just, I'm envious of that. You know, uh, I'm, uh, I think that that's a beautiful, beautiful thing about art and music is that it is like quite literally folk music and mm. folk art. And uh, we and recovering a little bit of that in the church would be a good thing. That's awesome. that's really awesome. Um, what do you think? Maybe this is a follow up question. Um, circling back a little bit, but like the your love for theology is really apparent, and then your love for music. Um, but a lot of artists tend to swing one or the other. It seems like they're really good at the theology aspect, and maybe like the creative part isn't there. But how do you find that balance um, between? saying truth like you said but also saying it in the creative way that you've been talking about hmm. um i that's a good question i don't really know how to answer it um <laughs> other than you know i just i i think growing up in the church and uh you know ha having some moments when i was a younger man when i kind of was um i kind of fell in love with the bible mm -hmm. um i remember when i went to bible college which is kind of the choice that I made after I um, started following Jesus and like realized that all this stuff was real. Um, mm -hmm. I, uh, I found myself in Bible college and like all the stories that I'd grown up reading were, were kind of crackling with life and energy. And, and I kind of go through phases where I forget how great the Bible is. And then I'll have some moment where I'm like, Oh man, this is amazing. So I'm not like a theologian who just sits around uh, doing that. I, I um, in the same I, I I think I intuit my theology too, you know, mm. <laughs> uh, like systematic theology is like the diagramming of a sentence, which sure. is really helpful. Sure. Some people yeah, are really, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I have, I love scripture, but it wasn't until I was older that I began to hear the, this idea that, that the Bible may best be understood as a story. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, mm. Jesus, uh, Sally Lloyd Jones and the Jesus Storybook Man. Bible, that kind of stuff. Like nobody talked about the Bible like that when I was a kid. Right. Um, I didn't know it, and then it, so it was this revelation. So uh, all that to say, I'm I'm very drawn to it in that way. Um, and just 
hang out with artists who are better than I am. So they kind of keep me on my toes. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I think that there's something really important about like the rabbit room, which is a ministry that I'm a part of yeah. here in Nashville. Um, we have this high view of art. We really believe that art and story and uh, music, these things are, can be vessels of truth and beauty and goodness. Um, so we have this high view of art, but we all, we try to couple that with a high view of scripture. Yeah. Um, and I think there are a lot, probably a lot of organizations where they're like, you know, scripture is very important over here, but they have kind of a lower view of art mm-hmm. or vice versa. Yep. And and I think that one of the things I love about the rabbit room is we try really hard to hold both, both yeah. of those um, parts of the, like of the parachute <laughs> pull cord. So uh, the uh, anyway, I, there's a book that I read earlier this year called Borderlands um, mm. by Roger Lloyd, I think is his name. He was like a contemporary of C.S. Lewis was an Anglican kind of pastor slash theologian. Anyway, he, he talks about borderland writers and how, um, you know, there are theologians um, who uh, the, the, the thesis is theologians need artists and artists need theologians. Mm, that's <laughs> like the, the theologian needs the artist to basically translate the ideas into something that everybody else can understand. Yeah. And sometimes in the process of doing that, you create a work of art that has been informed by this good theology. Mm-hmm. Then that translates the theology back to the theologian in a way that they didn't understand, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's not that theology is better than art or vice mm-hmm. versa. It's just that theologians and artists need to like make friends. That's yeah. right. That's it. <laughs> I just think- real. Yeah, yeah. realize that we're gonna ha- we're helping each other here tell yeah. the story in different ways. It's, it's the same end. Yeah, and it's so important. I mean, I even think biblically. Just oftentimes, uh, one of our mentors, one of my mentors, Zach Eswine, and I was on the phone with, or we we were talking to him one time, and uh, he talked about how important it was for us involved in more of the ministry work to kind of use our imagination and have a. Um, poetic vision for who God is. And so one thing he one of the things he said is like, yeah, Jesus will say things about who God is that are very systematic. But at other times he asked these questions like that when he, when Jesus is trying to present who God is, he's like, God is like a woman who finds a lost coin. And it's like, whoa, you know what I mean? God is like a mother hen gathering ch- her chicks unto herself. God is like a father who is glad to see his son returning home. And it's like there's a way to tell those stories that can feel uh, a little mechanical, right. but we miss something when we're failing to use our imagination, when we're failing to see that God loves beauty and poetry and aesthetics and all those kind of things. And so I, I love what you're saying, and I love that aspect of the rabbit room, that that idea that we can hold oftentimes like um, artistry and, to your point, artistry and maybe, I don't know, theology are pitted against one another, but really um, they're at their best when they're holding hands with one another. Uh, And I just, man, I'm so thankful for that in your music, especially, uh, and in your writing. But maybe to to kind of finish my commentary (laughs) and switch it a little bit more, you know, you've got a breadth of work and a a span of time now being in this process. You know, we're in a culture, we're on a a, a cultural podcast. Uh, We explore the intersection of faith and culture. We've got a culture that's kind of obsessed with youth. Um, It's obsessed with the new, that's obsessed. And so it's rare to find somebody like you, Andrew, who's been in the game a long time, who has uh, inhabited sort of different worlds and still has the influence, still has the passion, maybe even still has the drive to keep creating. What is it 
for you that helps you want to keep doing this and even explore maybe new expressions like switching maybe from more music to to writing yeah genres even yeah um i uh that's interesting i so like i said i'm 48 and (laughs) the, the the typical it's funny my my counselor has kind of uh shown me <laughs> the the, uh, the diagram of kind of like how middle midlife works you know you probably know what I'm talking about there's this like season of ambition and building and all this stuff and then there's you know some kind of crisis shifting and whatever depression um, midlife crisis that kind of thing and then on the downhill slope of it is kind of this n- new the second part of your life, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm somewhere in the, the tail end of the middle part, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm feeling some things shifting in me. I'm praying a lot about uh, trying to understand h- how God wants me to s- spend, um, again, pour out the next mm-hmm. 15, 20 years of my life. Mm-hmm. However long I got left here, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think COVID was weird lockdown. Uh, we all experienced lockdown differently mm-hmm. yeah right? and it, uh, but i think one of the universal things that i've heard from people is that when things snapped back after that it came back too fast and too hard and a lot of people are a little disoriented because it's like man it, i kind of missed how slow things got yeah yeah same um and i'm sitting here trying to go okay how do i flourish in that same way mm. you know do the work that i'm supposed to do because it's like when you're a young man if I'm honest, fear and ambition were driving a lot of the stuff that I was doing. You know, when I was mm-hmm. writing wing feather books or making records, like I had kids in diapers and mm-hmm. we were trying to find our way and like, make sure that like in an industry that's like all over the place, mm-hmm. self-employed, you know? <laughs> um, and so it was, uh, the, I was trying to be obedient to Jesus, trying mm-hmm. to use my gifts for the kingdom, but mixed in with that, there was a lot of like, I, I sure hope this thing works, you know, mm-hmm. because we got, we got bills to pay. And, um, and and things that are less pure than that, things like, gosh, I hope I can like be somebody one sure, day. Sure, sure. Identify too closely with my gifting, whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, all that to say, I'm now in a stage where I'm. Those things are not what's driving me anymore. You know, it's like, yeah. like our kids are out of the house. I'm not freaking out about di- paying for diapers right now. <laughs> um, and we're and you know I've, I I I have this. There's a part of adorning the dark. I don't know if you've read that, but where I describe this this pile of snow that I remember when I was a kid mm-hmm. and I would stop every day on the way home and dig a little farther. Yep. And when I finished tunneling through this pile, I just kind of like stood and looked at it and I was like, cool. And I never <laughs> came back there. I, yeah. And I feel like my music career is a little bit that way. You know, like I started my career more or less with behold the lamb of God, this album about the incarnation. And my last record was resurrection letters about the resurrection mm-hmm. of Jesus. And I kind of felt like that was a tunneling through the snow. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> yeah. and the wing feather saga. And now the TV show. So there's this, like, I'm curious about like the next expression of like, like learning more about like how to do this in a different way over here. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to feel like I'm in a transitional part of my life right now where I'm wow. trying to, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying making the TV show. I'm enjoying working on these uh, fiction and nonfiction books. I'm loving doing concerts, but I don't have any great drive to write a bunch of new songs. Sure. Mm, you know, interesting. 10 or 12 albums. So I'm like, uh, I kind of like digging out old stuff. And, and, uh, so anyway, yeah, I don't know if that really answers your question, except to say that like, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what it looks like, um, for me and my, my wife in these yeah. years to, to serve Jesus with what, what we've been given and also not burn out. Yeah. yeah. 
what's the TV thing like? That feels like the most uh, shifting of an idea. Like, you know, to go from <laughs> writing and songs, it's like, yeah, those are similar. And then TV, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy. It's been a, a steep learning curve for me. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a, an executive producer, um, which is a blast because usually the author doesn't get to do that. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. So, uh, so I'm thankful to get to do it, but I'm also like very aware that I'm the guy in the room who knows the least about how this works. <laughs> um, I, 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 I kind of, I would say I know the most about the story, but that's actually not so true anymore because <laughs> uh, I wrote them so long ago and all these people, you know, the, the screenwriters have post-it notes in all the books. Bro. And uh. They're reminding me of like, things. I was like, oh, like, I forgot no, on about page that. 47, you're like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, what is like, that like? Seriously, oh. you've got these like super, I've, I mean, you're one of only a few who've kind of created that kind of world. There's mm -hmm. like this super fandom around it. And in some mm -hmm. ways, you mentioned earlier Flannery O'Connor being like, I'm giving this away. Uh, it's almost like you don't have a choice. Like you've given, and you've got screenwriters coming to you who know more about your work. Is it bizarre? It's Are like you, it's it not is. yours anymore. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's great. It's a great feeling because That's it's cool. like the, the, uh, the, how do I put it? It's like, you know, television, telling a story on screen is, is inherently different than writing a book. Like sure, we, for sure. we, can, we, we have to find a way to visually convey what's going on inside the character. Mm. Uh, you have to just come at it differently. So mm -hmm. the story arc of book one would never work if you translated it directly. So you've got to come up with new ways. So, you know, we're teasing out certain characters to do more than they did in the books mm -hmm. and came up with some cool ideas. But the fun thing about it was watching these like professional screenwriters break down the, the book, come up with a new way to tell the story. I felt like it was like the story was moving closer to its platonic form. Wow. It was like, mm -hmm. There's the book version of the story and the television version of the story and somewhere in there beyond it. And the combination is like Janner Igaby and, and the actual wing feather saga. And, and, and we're kind of just coming at it from different directions. Mm -hmm. So it feels like it's, it's like the cell is splitting and it's like removing itself from me, the author and, and existing in its own uh, ecosystem in a way that like is just a blast. And mm -hmm. like you, you can sit back and watch it and, uh, and I can, I'm experiencing the story objectively. Mm. For the first, time. does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. it does. Yeah, uh, so it's a blast. Yeah. What? Um. In in term, I have so many questions about this. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm trying not to nerd out, and I'm trying to respect your time. But um. Uh. So with that, let me ask this though. So you now you spent time with screenwriters. Is there any part of you that's like, oh, I I think I could do that? Or are you like, no, <laughs> no I'm leaving that no, alone. <laughs> okay. Definitely not. No, I, I'm watching what these guys are doing, and I just stand in awe. Like it's yeah. such a completely different discipline. Yeah. Um, and you know, I have opinion. I get, I love that I get to be in the room and I can raise my hand and be like, Ooh, yeah. Can we retake mm -hmm. that line of dialogue? Cause that isn't what sure didn't come out. So I, I speak up every now and then, but for the most part, the fun of it is assembling an amazing team, which is yeah. what we've done. That's awesome. Well, uh, let's, let's go back. Cause I want to do a good job of introducing this. So Wingfeather yeah. saga is being turned into a TV series. Mm -hmm. The people who are doing it or producing it, help me if I'm wrong about this, are the same ones who did the chosen TV series, correct? Or it's the same studio. Well, or it's house the or same, distrib distributor. same distributor. Yeah. Okay. So okay. It's like the model is the same as the chosen. Awesome. Nice. And then the first, uh, it de debuts in December of this year. Is that correct? Yeah, December second. Awesome. Yeah, super excited. Yeah. I mean, probably be again. We're reading. We're trying. We're going to finish the books before the series comes out. But um, every, we have to watch the trailer every night. <laughs> so it's <laughs> like I'm like guys. You know. Well, here's uh, the problem. Good. How we read is what happened is my oldest, who's eight, could read it on his own if he wanted, yeah. right? 
And so we would keep, either me or him would keep reading ahead Mm -hmm. and get mad at each other. And so we had to put the physical copy away and I downloaded it on my phone so that we could like keep this honor system going Uh, where it's like everyone knows where we are. No no one's reading ahead. But because I have my phone there, they're like, well, dad, okay, but really quick, can I just watch the trailer? So it's just, now it's evolving into things that are probably unhealthy, but so exciting. it's super exciting. So it's coming out, or the first one anyways, is coming out, uh, first series is coming out in December. Ha- um, what? How do we access that? What should we be looking yeah. for? Where do we need to go to, to kind of be on our on our game? So we're ready. So the it way it out. works, it's, it's really interesting the, the way Angel Studios has kind of been a disruptor in the industry, right. you know? Like the chosen would never have gotten made by a major studio, exactly. but they figured out a way for the crowd to help them do it. And, uh, and so that means that, that, that it's kind of like the wild west. It's like, they're just figuring out, they're always testing things. Like how, do, how do these things work? So, cool. so from the time we raised the funds last year to now, you know, the exact means through which we're going to release the thing has, it's, it's morphed a little bit as okay. the, as the, uh, you know, the industry is morphing a little bit and things are, so the point is right now, um, season one will be available on YouTube for free. So you can just watch it on YouTube. You can also, there, there will probably be an app or the angel studios app that you can also do it. And that's where you'd be able to do the pay it forward stuff and, and down buy merch and that kind of thing. So the, the way the model works is the show comes out for free. It will always be free for people to watch. And our hope is that people will be excited about it and we'll pay it forward. Yeah. Um, we'll buy shirts and toys and that kind of thing to kind of kind of like uh help keep the company going so that we can continue to make all seven seasons. So yeah. it, like the whole thing, if we can pull off seven seasons and it'll be like, I don't know, 15 hours of animation. And so this, cool. I haven't done the math, but it's like um season one is you know two and a half or three hours long. And so it's like we're making an extended edition of one of the Lord of the Rings movies. Right. Only amazing. Animated, you know? Yeah. So it's just so, it's, it's just the coolest thing. So, um, yeah. So YouTube and, and it's just word of mouth. It's like, hopefully people will love the story. And I, 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 it's having seen episode one, the not quite finished version. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to be shocked if, kids don't lose their minds over I, it. Uh, awesome. Yeah. The 12 year old in me is losing his mind over yeah. it. So. Yeah. Here's a, a nerdy cool. question. Is it like a uh, computer animation or is it hand-drawn? It's a combo of the two. Oh. So we kind of came up with this new okay. approach. Yeah. yeah. So it's hand painted backgrounds, which mm-hmm. is awesome because it feels like handcrafted. Yeah. And Tangible characters stuff. don't look like Pixar characters. Mm-hmm. It looks more like, uh, you know, there's a, we're using computers, but we're mm-hmm. animated in a way that makes them look like they blend in with these hand-painted backgrounds. That's really cool. It's really so, unique. Go, uh, like, for the listener, yeah, like, go it. watch the trailer. There's a whole website dedicated to it, but if you just look Wing Feather trailer up, I mean, mm-hmm. you'll find mm-hmm. it on Google. Anyways, you, it's is. The, the animation's really unique. It's super cool. It feels like a new... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just really awesome. I yeah. love that. We yeah. were we were coming up, and part of it's budget. It's like we don't have a Pixar budget, so you sure. got to find yeah. a way to, like... <laughs> not pretend like you're we don't want to make a bad version of a pixar movie so let's pivot and make something mm-hmm. completely different kind of you know uh do do come up with a new way to animate mm-hmm. at, that looks beautiful looks like a a painting mm-hmm. um, but also um is uh not expensive yep. and so yeah it's it's been it's so i remember when we did the short film a couple of years ago we were trying this idea like to make it look more stop motiony a little bit like old oh, yeah. animation and uh and and w- with varied success like the first attempt at this thing wasn't 
exactly what we're going for now. But like then uh, the Spider Verse came out. The yeah, Spider. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the, where they were doing that, they yes. were like playing with the the genre a little bit, and we were like, yes, that's, that's what we, that's what we wanted to do, and which was perfect because it kind of you know taught the audience that there's another way to do this. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, is yeah. the big, that's the closest parallel. I think that's perfect. That Spider-Man. really, yeah, is like that, the look like mm-hmm. that. Super cool. Is it true that you wrote song, uh, original songs or something for it as well? Did you score it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, a few original songs that are in it. Like the books have, you know, the songs yeah. that are written and I had to put them, some of them to music. Was that hard? I mean, had you, mm. I, I've always wondered, yeah. like even reading Tolkien fans of fantasy and stuff, it's like, you know, there's these songs or whatever. And um, in the book, you know, and the same is true of Wing Feather. And I've always thought, I wonder if the author has a melody in mind or if mm. it's more poetic. When you wrote the songs, did you have, well, like when you're writing the book, I mean, did you have melody in mind or that you could call no. back to or not? Yeah. No, I just, I just loved how the Tolkien books had songs in them, you yeah. know, kind yeah. of the world feel rich. And so when I was writing the book, I would just sit there and bang out something that rhymed. Yeah. And yeah. Never, <laughs> ever wanted to. And then now to. you're like, oh, I have to write a melody. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so in the book, there's like the song of the ancient stones right. and all this. I'm, yeah. Oh, yeah, we have to write that. <laughs> was so, that uh, the hardest thing we've written in a while? Or? <laughs> <laughs> was that hard? Well, yeah, seriously, was that difficult to do, to go back? Or did you, where did yeah. you start? Did you start lyrically or did you go and go, I, I'll well, get a I just We just looked at the, uh, at the lyrics that were in the book and came up with a, a melody that felt like it belonged to it, you know? Um, that's I don't know. Yeah, I've only done three or four of them so sure, far, but sure. there's probably going to be more more to come. That's, That's amazing, awesome. man. Well, thank you so much. I We have talked your ear off and gone well past our 30-minute mark, but um, just getting to talk to you and hear a bit about your story and process, my hope is that for our listeners out there, the that part that we talked about, about, hey, we are we are created beings mm-hmm. of a creator who have been um, called to cultivate and make much of and make, you know, discover the meaning God's given us and to express it in poetic and beautiful ways to, as we say around here, to kind of sing God's beauty back to mm-hmm. him. And yeah. I, I think um, having this discussion, uh, I hope for the listener, uh, helps awaken something creative and imaginative yeah. in you, right? Yeah, yeah. So Andrew, thank you again, man. I can't thank you enough for being on the on the show, and uh, I think we, our people are really gonna gonna love it. So we thank will put you. in our show notes the um, the link to the website, so you yep. can check out the trailer for Wing Feather Show coming up. And your if books you have and, not, yeah, yeah, and other books. Uh, if you have not um, been introduced to uh, Andrew's music or his books yet, please check them out. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This podcast is made possible because of a team of people behind the scenes. Chris Sterrett, Chelsea Conway, Mandy Page, and Brad Weigel. We couldn't do it without them. If you're a follower of the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can check us out on social media. You can also support us on our Patreon page. Check the show notes for more information, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.